0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: When I die, I'm going to come back as one of these. Or I chose the wrong tattoo. Why are you acting weird? I'm the village crazy lady. That's my job. If there's something you want to tell me, just tell me. Is there something you want to tell me? Is there something you want to hear? Hey, hey, this is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris. Happy holidays, y'all. Hope everyone who celebrates any sorts of festivities this time of year is enjoying, or at the very least, enduring, time spent with loved ones. I'm heading home to Connecticut to see my fam, as I usually do for Christmas. And so, because of the shortened week, we're taking the time off to relax and eat way too much good food. But we still have a newish episode to share with you. As you may recall, a few weeks back, New York Times music writer Nate Chenen and I discussed Moana and its representation of Pacific Islander culture. We had so much to talk about, and did, and quite a bit of it didn't make it into that final episode. So here's more of that conversation. In it, we talk in greater detail about the role Moana's grandmother plays in the film, the Hawaiian Renaissance, and Disney's other forgotten feature film set in the Pacific Islands, Lilo and Stitch. Enjoy!
0: This is a movie set in ancient times, but the inspiration is even more ancient you know it's like it's like a throwback to a throwback um, and for me as I said in, in my piece uh, the the montage um, set to a song called uh, We Know the Way just because I, I understand you know what that legacy means especially to you know, Pacific Islanders At night we name every star We know where we are We know who we are That was an incredibly moving moment for me, to see that on the big screen with that song, uh, you know, with those, um, you know, Voyager canoes and, uh, you know, those Native people drawn in a very, um, you know, in a way that felt that I saw those faces and they looked familiar to me. You know, I I teared up a bit seeing that, you know. And and to me, that moment conveys all of the... um, the good intentions and all of the sort of earnest striving that the creators of this this movie put into it. Yeah,
1: I think that's one thing that sort of stands out to me about this movie. If you compare it to other films where Disney has tried to venture outside of its white princess mode, Mulanists in particular, it, it this movie that sense of pride I feel like is is what's missing from mm-hmm. those other films. Where I think at one point someone says something along the lines of like you you look back to know the way you're going. Right. And that's just is such a common among many different cultures a common idea of looking to the past and, and looking in order to know the way you're going forward. And I just thought that was really I don't know if I was if I was someone as of of you know Pacific Islander descent, I would love this movie and be like, "Wow, I feel really proud of my ancestors." And I think that's something that Disney does not often do, and I think right. they did a good job with it here.
0: I saw some pictures of um a box office in, uh, you know, in Honolulu with, you know, uh, like 12 pieces of paper taped to the box office, you know, Moana, 1130 sold out Moana, two thirty sold out, you know? Yeah. Um, I think this movie is, has been, you know, really enthusiastically embraced. Yeah. Um, certainly in Hawaii, I can only speak for Hawaii. I haven't said yet that, um, Ali'i Cravalo, um, she is native Hawaiian and she's the young, um, uh, singer and an actor who plays Moana and right. I thought she did a wonderful job. Yeah. Um and you know it was maybe I don't know a year or two years ago that Disney posted a little um YouTube clip of her audition and the the moment when they sort of told her that she got the role and they, they toyed with her a little bit. They tricked me.
1: They were like, well, actually, maybe you could play it more like we're telling you that we're offering you the role.
0: And they made her do a couple more things. And then she actually received the news that she was Moana. Not pretending now. We want you to be the voice of Moana in our movie. We really do. We really do. you <laughs> so You are going to be Moana. Um, and it was adorable, you know. Um, and her her mother is adorable. Like her mother is, um, you know, very she's she's a very familiar person to me. Like she's, you know, I, I know like aunties who are very much, you know, um, just the way that they speak is, you know, it's the it's the sort of local um, inflection. And one of the characters in the in the movie that I didn't mention in my piece um, is Grandma Tala.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Um, who's actually very important. And I, I feel sort of um, awful that I didn't really make this point. But, you know, you mentioned a second ago about this process of rediscovery. This has a really, really direct um, corollary with Hawaiian culture because for more than a generation, it had been sort of suppressed and, you know, there was a real assimilationist pressure and, and you know, the native Hawaiian language and many of its customs were in danger of being marginalized to the point of, you know, to the vanishing point, really. And there was this movement in the early 70s um, known as the Hawaiian Renaissance, that I mostly know about because of the you know the wonderful musical byproduct of it, you know, which is sort of the rediscovery of Kihuala slack guitar playing and mm-hmm. and traditional chant and and hula. A few years ago, uh, maybe longer than that, um, I had a wonderful conversation with a Hawaiian musician, composer, and and so- singer songwriter um, named Dennis Kamakahi. Um, and he has since passed, but um, he was a really important figure in that Hawaiian Renaissance, um, like a a leading figure and someone who who really demonstrated how you could bring you know full artistry to this process of like both reclaiming and also kind of pointing the way forward. And one of the things that uh, that the Reverend Dennis Kamakahi told me was that he had a um, a mentor uh, who was the most important figure. For him in that process, and it was a, a woman named uh, Mary Kavena Pukui, um, who's very well known in, in Native Hawaiian culture, and she was a a folklorist. Um, she was a you know a songwriter. She um, was just sort of this master of history and traditional arts, and and a very very strong figure. And there are a lot of powerful matriarchal figures in Hawaiian culture. And she she's someone I thought of when I was watching the interaction between Grandma Tala and Moana, mm. you know? Just this elder who is a little bit rascally, yeah. you know? People don't necessarily get her, but she has a wisdom that nobody else has. Yeah. You know, she has this kind of... Um, she understands, you know, this this breadth of history and she's not afraid of it the way that some others are. Right.
1: Know? She... I'm glad you you brought that into the fold because when I saw it, not knowing any of that history, my first thought was – my first instinct was to go back to, again, the the Disney – sort of lineage and she reminded me of grandmother willow from pocahontas and a little bit of mulan's grandmother in mulan
0: and 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 now that star (laughs) wars is a disney property she's she's got a little yoda in her too Right. right yeah
1: definitely some yoda now i would like to pivot a little bit because i don't know if you've seen this movie in a while but this isn't actually the first time that disney has ventured into hawaiian culture specifically and lilo and stitch which i think is pretty is a pretty forgotten movie now. Mm-hmm. um it came out in two thousand and two, so it was right around the time when the Disney Renaissance was pretty like was basically over, and they weren't really making musicals anymore and this movie is uh it's about <laughs> it's a weird movie. I don't think it's actually based on anything. I think they just set it in Hawaii.
0: It's a very weird movie,
1: and there's there's an there's Elvis songs in it, like the little girl Lilo, she's a big Elvis fan, right although I think it's set in the present day. And a, a, um, an experiment gone awry, I guess, in space named Stitch. He's a little alien figure. It crashes onto Earth, and then it's kind of like a E.T in Hawaii, sort of right. <laughs> they, they get into trouble, and she's got an older sister. Um, their parents have both died. I think they've both died, and they don't explain what happened. And so her sister's trying to take care of her and make sure she doesn't get taken away by the The authorities. It's a weird movie. I'm curious what you think about the way that film portrays Hawaiian culture.
0: Well, it's it's so different, right? Yeah. Because because we're dealing in that sense, you know, it's there's like, um, it, you know, it it is a movie that you know has a lot to do with sort of the welfare state and government services and you know, um, and poverty, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so. It's this. Um, it's really interesting, you know. I have, I have not. I should, I should admit that I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, like probably a good ten years. Yeah. Um, but I remember being really puzzled by it <laughs> because <laughs> I was like, "What? What is this? Like, it, I'm not sure what this movie is is supposed to be." You know, it's. Um, there are things about it that I uh that I really appreciated. Um, in terms of the texture of sort of island life, like it did get some of that right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, it, it, it we're talking about like literally like a space alien, you know, like just this. <laughs> so when you think about sort of native contact with the mainland, with, you know, um, Western culture, like all these ideas of sort of the other, like it's so – like, I'm not sure if there's some sort of allegory happening yeah. there or if it just was like a convenient place to set this like kooky sort of um, alien orphan story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I will say that I remember that when that came out, um, you know, locals were happy to see, you know, the surf and, and you know, um, hear some local accents in a big, you know, Disney movie. Mm. But that movie was n- definitely not embraced the way that I think Moana is already being embraced, yeah. Um, it's it, it was not it was not a uh, a moment of sort of cultural pride um, for islanders,
1: yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it didn't even really do well. I think among non-islanders too, at least compared to other Disney films.
0: Slate's Slate's own Dan Coyce has been talking about Lilo and Stitch, and I I, I think I need to <laughs> revisit it. I think I need to watch it again and, and see if I if I feel any differently about it.
1: Yeah, I rewatched it maybe a few months ago. Um, just like kind of had it on the background for the first time in years as well. and yeah, it's it's still a weird movie. Nothing should, <laughs> that has not changed. Yeah. um but I do also just appreciate the fact that the the characters, like they actually like took the time to make the characters look um, you know, more hawaiian and and I think that might have been the first well, I guess Pocahontas, they sort of made the characters look. Except Pocahontas was way more conventionally beautiful than the real Pocahontas. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> you
0: know? Can you imagine what, um, like, the amount of committee input goes into the the renderings of these characters? You know, it's like, boy, well, you need to, you know, down to like the each millimeter of like the width of the nose and the cheekbones. That you know, it's like so much has to go into this. And I, I thought that the um, the character art in Moana was was really strikingly good for mm. the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all the villagers uh, in Motonui, which is the the island where Moana lives, her you know her father, the chief, and and her mother, and you know various other villagers, they they looked like Disney characters, but they also looked like people, mm-hmm. you know, and they looked recognizably like Polynesian people. Yeah, um, you know the voyagers in the flashback, the sort of ancients. Um, who seem to be wearing like their by their headdress, they seem more sort of New Zealander like Maori than Hawaiian, you know.
1: And there's a few New Zealanders actually who were yeah. as the voice cast, and also the original script was written by a New Zealander before you know Disney sort
0: of took over. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I thought that, and, and Moana herself. I mean, she's a she is a like a lovely Disney heroine. You know, um, she's not as Stick thin as some of the other, you know, princesses we've seen. Mm-hmm. She looks strong. She looks, you know, she also looks credibly like young. You yeah, know? So I think they really threaded that needle quite well. Mm. It's interesting. I was thinking about the Kokomura.
1: Oh, the the sort of the only real villains in the movie, right? Them <laughs> and then
0: and then uh, and the crab, um, right? And the crab, yes. Um, so the Kokomura, you know, that's sort of a um, that's a goblin-like figure from the Solomon Islands folklore and. Uh, i remember watching the scenes that they were in and thinking why are they like little coconuts you know and then i (laughs) thought well the alternative would be either a you you render these sort of like fierce scary um native men Mm -hmm. um with probably with all kinds of tribal art and like you risk sort of seeming insensitive in that way or since they're sort of goblins or dwarves you have like little people and then you could get into a whole other realm of trouble with your portrayal and so so it's like well it's a disney movie like let's just make them sort of coconuts like (laughs) a little humanoid but not really and then you know i've already seen um you know there's a little plush kokomura keychains and you know that's a that little coconut figure is like a very easy character to merchandise
1: yeah that's As much as I love Disney, that is their, I think maybe their second MO behind making good movies. Or it could be their first. (laughs) But, yeah. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in and have an amazing holiday. We'll be back next week with a special year-end episode featuring some guests you may be familiar with. So be sure to check back in then. You can find links to the things we touched on in the show notes. And as always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Megaphone, Stitcher, or any other place you find your podcasts. Please keep rating us on iTunes and keep telling your friends, family, parents, and whoever about the show. We really appreciate your support. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verilyn Williams. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Steve Liktai. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of Panably. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Slate Represent. Music is performed by the sweet San Francisco punk soul band Midtown Social. Until next time.